Hi, Kirsty Coventry. I think we're up. Girl, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. This is awesome. It's been a long time coming uh, for two former uh, Tigers, uh, yep. Auburn Tigers. We, we needed to get together, so I'm glad we're doing this. I know, but that seems like a lifetime ago that we were at Auburn. Uh, although I did get yeah. to go back for the women's 20-year anniversary, and that was very special. Got to reconnect with all the girls, so that was awesome this last year. Um, but, yeah, That's it's cool. been a long time. Yeah, been a very long time. And and you talk about a lifetime. I was just going through your bio, like just to kind of refresh on what you've done and where you've been. And I'm writing down things, and it's like you've lived – four or five lives, Kirsty. It's like, it's crazy what you've done in your lifetime. When you reflect on your life as it is now, are you, do you kind of pinch yourself to figure, you know, where you've gone and what you've done? Um, it's funny. I think I sometimes have to completely slow down to just realize that I've had these different lives because they all feel so different. But the same, if that's if that makes sense, like they're intertwined and there's a lot of similarities and a lot of good foundational um, things that I took from my swimming career into um, setting up my foundation at home, into then stepping into a ministerial job, um, into the International Olympic Committee athletes chairperson, and now an International Olympic Committee member. Um, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, some things that have been completely thrown at me and blindsided <laughs> a little bit. But I think that's what life is about. It's about taking on those different challenges that you maybe didn't plan and they're unexpected, but they're put in your path for, for a reason and right. um, it will help you in the future. So it's been a busy couple of years since I retired. <laughs> um, life was, I think, much simpler uh, being an athlete and just training and traveling. And um, my husband got to do that with me for the last four or five years of, of my career um which was awesome we we really enjoyed that and now it's a uh, more being based in zimbabwe um still running a learn to swim but then have a lot more commitments on the political side with um being a minister of youth sport art and recreation um and then my responsibilities on the ioc uh which are all slightly different so <laughs> Yeah, just crazy, crazy. We have to touch on all of those things along the way here. But uh, when you when you go back to your teenage years as a young girl, right? Like, mm -hmm. how much of this was dreamed of? How much of this was planned for you? Like in your hopes and dreams, what did you want to do with your life? Um, I knew when I was growing up that I wanted to go to the Olympics and I right. wanted to win a medal. Um, and mm -hmm. sort of after that. I'm not sure if I really had specific plans. I just knew that being an athlete and a swimmer and traveling around the world and getting to see and meet different people would lead to an exciting life. Yeah. Um, and it really has. It's taken me on such different paths. And um, when I started looking at ending my career, uh, which I started looking at um, in and around 2010, I thought London would maybe be my last Olympic Games. And mm. in the lead up to that, my husband and I sat down and we started talking about what we wanted and what I wanted to do afterwards. I knew I wanted to set up a foundation at home and work with kids. Um, I knew I wanted to give back. And in 2010, I was invited to an athlete forum, an IOC athlete forum. Mm. And that's where I met 
um, the chairperson at the time, Frankie Fredericks, and the vice chair, Claudia Bokel from Germany, and a, and a bunch of other athlete, IOC Athlete Commission members, and just loved the idea of an athlete commission having a voice for athletes and um, having a seat at the table at, at the highest level. Right. Um, and so that was in 2010. And the next available time I could run for that or a position on that was London 2012. Mm. And so from 2010 to 2012, learned more about the IOC. Um, I'm sure you'll remember going into the dining hall and voting for athletes. Yeah. Um, Half the time, I never knew what I was actually voting for. I just went <laughs> in and went, I knew this person, I knew this person. I knew right, this person. right. That was it, right? Um, but there actually is really important that athletes can vote for who they want to represent them. Um, and the commission has done a really good job of trying to better educate Olympians and athletes of who they are and what they do and what they try to do and how we try to give back. And we have different programs. Um, and I'm finished that chapter now. And from my work on the IOC Athlete Commission, I was fortunate enough to become an individual member on the International Olympic Committee, which happened in uh, 2021, which was um, I'm very honored and privileged for that opportunity. Um, but that kind of led me. I think I always knew I wanted to be involved in sport. Right. And the trance when you're you'll know, you know, going from being an athlete looking at what you're going to do in that transition can be really difficult. And I suddenly said to my husband at the time, I said, you know what? I think trying to run for the IOC athlete commission and get onto that will allow me to help with that transition. Um, so I managed to do that and become an IOC athlete commission member in, in London. Um, and then I decided to continue swimming until Rio, but wow. it really helped with that transition because it allowed me to stay in touch right an olympic movement that i've loved for right. 20 plus years mm -hmm. still give back um it allowed us to come back to zimbabwe and set up a foundation at home where we worked with young kids with different uh sports and water safety um and it allowed me to sort of take my time to figure out what i wanted to do next um and then just as we were thinking about what that was. Um, I had retired in 2016 and in 2018, I was announced the sports minister. Um, wow. That was not planned. <laughs> I had not been thinking about that. Actually, wow. Ty and I were thinking about something completely different. Um, but when that came up, um, the president announced it on, on national TV and I had friends calling and I was saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and I, I spoke to some really incredible mentors um, of mine and they just said, well, you know, what do you have to lose? You, you never thought about getting into politics, but maybe you'll learn some new things and uh, you can do good for the country and you can give back again to your country. So, uh, yeah, we thought, let's do it. You're the most decorated uh African swimmer in history. So I feel like you, you gave a lot to your country already, but I mean, finding out on national TV that you're now a minister is uh, pretty wild. And then, and then, and then I guess jumping in and figuring out how to do it. Uh, just crazy. Yeah, that was my first question. I was like, <laughs> what does a minister do? I don't remember being super close with any of the ministers wow. when I was uh, coming up in my yeah. uh, swimming career. So it was, yeah, it was jump in the deep end, I guess, but it's been yeah. a very interesting road and I've learned so many things and I think better understanding and navigating global politics, which is something I've always been interested in. 
um, has been super helpful being in this position. Kirsty, tell us about Zimbabwe for those people that don't know much about your country. Um, you know, where exactly is it? Tell us about its customs, its traditions, that sort of thing. Yeah, so Zimbabwe is in Southern Africa, right mm -hmm. above South Africa, mm -hmm. uh, next to Mozambique and Zambia and Botswana on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, it's a beautiful country. I'm super biased, but we have the best wildlife in the world. Uh, we have the Great Victoria Falls. Um, the people of Zimbabwe are just always happy, and um, hopefully one day you can come visit, Brett. It would be an honor to, oh, yeah. to have a group of us all come back yeah. and, and give back to the swimming community here. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's, it's really wonderful. I mean, I think it's hard to sort of pick one or two small pieces of really what makes Zimbabwe. But I think if I had to pick, it would be the people. Um, and you'll better understand that if you've been here or if you come to Zimbabwe, because people are just happy and smiling um, and work very hard. Our work ethic is, um, I think, second to none. Um and food-wise, um, gosh, we love uh, what we call nyama, our meat. So mm. meat and potatoes and salad, uh, very oh. similar to Australia. Obviously, we were a British colony, so very high influence in that way. Um, very simple foods, not a lot of spices, you know, your sort of salt and pepper, but very much, very clean. Uh, we don't, we grow pretty much all of our own food mm. um, with our agriculture here so and it's still we're very much non-gmo uh you're not allowed to grow too much of that here good, so good. very clean and healthy and um yeah it's a it's a beautiful country to grow up in uh, obviously grew up and then moved to the states when i got a scholarship to auburn uh, but my parents have always been here my grandparents my great-grandparents um and it's just a country i'm super proud to call home what about how you grew up? Like, obviously, where you've gone now, you, you came to America, you got a scholarship to swim, and you did incredibly well. Obviously, you go on to the, the IOC, you go on to be a minister. But, like, tell us about before all that, how did you actually grow up in Zimbabwe? So I grew up um, probably, I would say, you know, maybe similar to how you grew up in Australia. I think we, there's a lot, a lot of similarities. Um, mm. But I grew up, uh, I have a sister, a younger sister, okay. and her and I grew up, both my mom and dad uh, were working parents, um, you know, very sort of uh, middle class home, uh, nothing fancy. Mom and dad worked extremely hard uh, mm. to put us through school and to put me through university. Uh, so thank goodness for David and Kim believing in me and giving me that scholarship. Because uh, my life would have been very different if I hadn't been able to get that scholarship. Um, but just a very close family. Um, yeah. We always had family lunches. And um, my mom is is one of three. Uh, my dad was one of three. And they, my grand and grandpa were one of five. Um, so big extended right. family, huge big Christmases. And um, we always just took the time to ensure that we had uh, very close family time on weekends. Uh, you know, weeks, weeks are always busy with school. It was wake up, go to some track practice, come home, go to school, um, go, go to some practice after school, get home, do homework, go to bed. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, but a very sporty family. We grew up playing lots of sport, right. a close family. Yeah. 
you, as you speak, and I, and I was going to say this about you because I know you, you come across as very kind of unassuming, like uh, in, in the way of um, you wouldn't think of you as somebody that is a dominant figure in the world of sport, like somebody that is just, but there's a, there's a, I mean, you talk about uh, the wildlife in, in Africa. It seems like there's a, a lion in you, like a lioness, you know, it's like that you, you come across as very meek and mild, but there is a lioness inside of you. When did, when did you first discover that person? Um, I would say my family probably discovered that when I was quite <laughs> young, when I would hate to lose even mm. card games. Um, oh, okay. I've always been very competitive. Uh, I was born in September, so I'm a Virgo, so I'm a perfectionist. I like things done properly. Um, but I think the, com the competitiveness is definitely amongst the majority of my family. I think I'm mm. the highest. <laughs> um, and yeah, that came out at a very early age. Um, but I was also taught from a very early age that you can remain super grounded. Mm. And you can do that by having good family and friends around you that see you for who you are and not what you've done. Um, and that allows you to stay grounded and true to who you are. And uh, as you said, sort of unassuming. Um, I think that's probably one of my strengths, actually. I think a lot of people count me out and have counted me out of a lot of right. things in the past. Right. Even when I was swimming and when I first got to the to university, like, oh, who's this young girl from Zimbabwe? Mm. Um, you know, and I think that's part of what drives me is it's the the drive to want to prove people wrong and um, show them that uh, Zimbabweans and Africans uh, are just as good as, as anywhere else and we have just as much value. Um, but we can stay grounded and normal and more human. Yeah. Uh, I, I've said this a couple of times on the podcast. Uh, often my, my family and my friends, when I committed to Auburn University, they would say, you know, I'm from Sydney, Australia. So they would say, yeah. where are you going? Like, Auburn, Alabama? Where's Alabama? And so, like, how the hell did you end up at Auburn, Alabama from Zimbabwe, of all places? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, I'm, half of the people in Zimbabwe, when found out I was going to Alabama, just thought Jerry Springer. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yes. No. Yes. Do you remember Jerry Springer? Yep. yep. Um, and that was like the only American TV show we had in Zimbabwe. Yeah, so exactly. It was not a good look. Um <laughs> But no, I uh, I had a, a couple older uh, swimmers, Glenn Warshaw, uh, Teresa Moody, uh, a few others that had gone over to the States, Zimbabwean mm. swimmers. Um, some had gone to Alabama uh, University, uh, LSU and uh, Florida, FSU. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that that and they would always then come home over the summer and like train with us and get to hear their stories and um, I realized that as I was getting older, a lot of my um, swimmers my age were focusing more on school or other sports. So they would stop swimming and I was sort of training by myself. And I realized if I really wanted to commit to swimming, I, I needed to look at going to the States. It was going to be the only way. And so started looking and speaking to some of the universities that my other Zimbabwean swimmers had gone to. And um, was in South Africa, mm -hmm. uh, swimming at South African Nationals. I just qualified um, for my first Olympic Games um, for Sydney. 
and um tim shed do you know tim yeah i remember him yeah yeah tim was living in cape town and he was in durban watching south africa the south african champs and he came up to me and said are you looking i said yep i'm looking at these he said no 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 you have to look at auburn i'm sending you david and kim's um emails and da, da, da. and so we started talking to kim and david and a few months later kim came out to visit and um yeah that was it i fell in love with them i got to obviously meet both of them in sydney and then i think kim came after that or maybe she came just before um but yeah i just fell in love with both of them and what they were trying to do with the women's team at that point you know at that point you guys had already won championships yeah um and david's vision and i knew that i'd always wanted to go to a school where i wasn't going to be the best um so having people like maggie bowen and others that were going to be there demaray and heather christian you know that's so the the group that i was going to go in um, in 2000, after the Sydney games, I ended up going a year later. Um, but yeah, that was sort of how I ended up in, in Alabama at our plane. Yeah. yeah. That's, I guess that's how it happens. Someone, someone puts you in <laughs> David's lap and uh, off you go, you know? So, um, the thing I loved about David was he allowed his coaches to coach and he allowed his athletes to form relationships with, yeah. with the other coaches. And you obviously, formed a very strong bond with Kim and yeah. she ended up going on to be your, your coach for, for many years throughout your career. So what was it about Kim that you really clicked with? Um, I don't know. I just felt comfortable with her. And I think it was also because she came to Zimbabwe. She met my grandparents. She met my mom and dad. She saw where I lived. So she had a greater understanding. Um, I remember planning for Kim to come to Zimbabwe and I still tease David to this day um, because he says no 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 she can just spend the night with Tim in Cape Town and drive up to you the next day and I'm like David do you realize that is like a 72 hour drive strip <laughs> with no potty breaks like typical David <laughs> and he was like really is that far I'm like yes Africa is quite big actually um so I mean that yeah. might look small but actually nice. we're quite fast <laughs> nice. um but I think you know Kim coming uh she just her and Steve had just got married and so she came straight from her honeymoon wow. and um I think we just connected she got to see my high school and my life and my mom and dad and my grandparents loved her and my mom and dad loved it right away. And I saw how my coach here who um, didn't always love everybody. He also just trusted her. And so I think it just from the people around me showing me, you know, that they just fully trusted her with me um, gave me that sort of confidence. And, um, now she's one of my best friends. Um, and it's yeah. funny because when I, when we're together, I'm like, Oh, this is my friend, Kim, uh, my coach, Kim, uh, no, I'm, I'm, we have a very special relationship and, yeah. um, it was, it's, it's, uh, you know, cause there's, there's hard times at college, you know? especially when you're so far away from home and there's no family, even though it is like a family, you still miss that. And so Kim became that person for me and got me through some, you know, difficult times. And when suddenly you get an F on a class and you can't travel or you can't mm. train, and you know, she walked me through all those things. So it was, um, yeah, I, I owe a lot to her. 
you obviously were who you were before you got to Auburn, which is very similar to me. I, I was a very good sprinter, but when I got to Auburn, things just took off. I mean, obviously, it just it, things yeah. just clicked, right? And it seems like yeah. it's the same for you, where all of a sudden you become this superstar on the NCAA level, the the international level, uh, and you're you're just starting to dominate and win. Um, so, what what was it about the environment that helped you kind of take that next step? I think it was just the professionalism of training and training with people that are constantly pushing you to get better. We had such a good team. Um, and I think the constant competition where you can tweak things and you can play with things and you can get better. Mm. I just never had that. I mean, in Zimbabwe growing up, we would train for our one competition a year that would generally be South Africa senior champs um, in March. Um, and that was the biggest thing. And then otherwise it was like small Friday night galas. And again, by the time I got to 16, 17, I was swimming by myself, so racing myself. And, and I don't think you can grow. So I think I had sort of plateaued. Um, my times were still good. I was still getting, they were still getting better and better. But I think until I got to Auburn where I was in an environment that was just thriving with competition, but healthy competition, right, to make each other better, I think I just, me being who I am, I just thrived off of that. And I yeah. um, loved it. I, yeah. I really did. Yeah. Yeah. One of those people you came in with was Margaret Holzer, who I had yeah. on the podcast a few weeks ago. We had an incredible okay. podcast together and she was talking about your relationship, how you made each other better as well. And so yeah. it's incredible that you come in with someone like that as a freshman, young, young woman. And then later on in life, you both go on to go one two at the olympic games i mean that's yeah. that's crazy isn't it i know it's so crazy but it's also so awesome that we got to do it together and it was like day in and day out she would make me better i would make her better we roomed together we lived together i mean some people were like what you mm. room you were in room you roomed with your your <laughs> biggest competitor i'm like yeah yeah, well, I don't see, you know, at that point, you know, you don't see anything wrong with it. You're like, yeah, well, I don't I don't get it. What's wrong? <laughs> um, and so it was. It was a very unique, uh, I think, time. And I think um, Margaret's been asked um, this question a lot, I think, also at the time from even the U.S. media, who was like, oh, but, you know, we were sort of training the enemy type thing. And she's like, well, no, Kirsty didn't have any of this in Zimbabwe. You know, she doesn't mm. have an indoor pool. She was, it wouldn't have been a level platform. And at the end of the day, if you want to be the best, you have to try beat those who are, are the best at the world. Um, and so I think Margaret and I always had that very good mutual respect for each other and for each other's talents. And, and then both of us used that to help us get better, which I think yeah. was awesome. We individualize training in the pool, so why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Biney of Biney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available. So go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net.
You said Sydney was your first experience at the Olympics. What did yeah. you learn from Sydney that helped you go on to Athens to to eventually win the gold medal in the in the two hundred backstroke? Oh man! So I think Sydney for me it just kind of lit that Olympic flame, you know. Right. Um, and I made even though I swam the first day. I went to every single opening ceremony because I had to see that flame. Really? And until that flame got lit, the Olympics felt like a world championship. So mm. him and I would go and every whenever I could sit down, she'd make me sit down. Mm. But it ignited, I think, something inside of me that just made me feel that it was special. Um, and I think Sydney sort of was the first time that it did that. Uh, getting to see such incredible athletes um, and watching them compete and then at the end hug and embrace and get on that podium and seeing those emotions, it was just something that I knew I wanted to do. So, yeah, Sydney, I came 12th uh, in the 100 back and then um, in Athens, I got a silver in the 100 back. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so... Uh that's incredible so it was the it was the 100 back wasn't necessarily i wouldn't say it was your primary event up front was it like no. why did you, why did you have well, success when, I came, in when i got to auburn i had only swum the 200 back once because i uh, hated it okay i hated it and before i left zimbabwe my coach uh mr matheson said please just swim the 200 back at our nationals because you will definitely break the record and let's just do it so i was like oh okay and i did it and i swam a really fast time and um when i got to the states kim and david were like well we have enough hundred backstrokers we have jenny anderson we have margaret halter you're going over to the 200 and we're putting you into the 400 im and i was like i'm sorry what mm. no <laughs> <laughs> um and they were like yes that's what you're going to do that's what the team needs and i'm like no, 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 no. The team does not need me to sum a 400 IM. I'm here to sum 100 back. Wow. Anyway, I got over that quickly. And um, yeah, the 100 back, I swam it my freshman year and then never really swam it again. Wow. Uh, you know, I mean, if because we then had so many good backstrokers and I predominantly then switched to the 400 IM, 200 IM and 200 back at NCAAs. And only at international events would swim the 100. What, what did you come in the 200 back in Athens? Uh, no, I won that. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, like, you so confused me for a minute there. Yeah, uh, no, so the I 100 back was the first day, though. The 100, the 100 back was my first medal. Right. And I right. swam so badly in the heat of the 100 back that I just slid into the final. I was in lane one. And I was like, oh, man, this is terrible. And then, oh, wow. yeah, I got the silver. But then, yeah, got the gold in the 200 back, which was the last last event of the meet for me. Oh, wow. So so hmm. tell me this then, because I never – I dreamed of winning a gold medal at the Olympics, and I had the opportunity. I was standing behind the block in lane five for the final, and I looked down the pool in Athens where you were yep. on the opposite side because I was the 50. But I was looking down the pool, and I was thinking to myself, you know – what it would be like to win the gold medal. You actually did it. So like, what's yeah. the difference between standing behind the blocks and thinking that you want to do it and then actually going and executing it? So in Athens, Kim and I training up for Athens, we never once spoke about medals. Oh. We didn't speak about winning a gold medal or just, we just spoke about our best time 
And if we do our best times, it technically should get us onto the podium. And mm. we didn't speak about where on the podium. We just right. said it should get us there. Right. Um, and I think that took off a lot of pressure because you looked at it in a different way. And we had such a good training environment and leader into 2004 um, coming off of the season with NCAAs that in of itself just gets you, you know, so ready. Um, and that summer we just focused on going best times, hitting splits. And um, yeah, like I said, that first swim, that hundred back heat was awful. And mm. she's like, well, you can't get any worse. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, so we just looked at things in a very different way. Um, and I think that's why we were able to be so successful in, in Athens. Um, so you think then, you're somewhat surprised by winning the gold at that, at that meet? I don't think we were necessarily I think there was a little bit of surprise because we were like, holy crap, we just mm. did this. Mm. Um, I think we both knew that we wanted to do it, but both of us were too scared to put that much pressure on it, on ourselves. Mm. Now, 2008 was very different. We spoke very clearly about winning gold and did a, mm. um, and my, my, um, what I didn't verbalize well to Kim is I wanted four golds. I, I wanted a gold in the 100, 200 back and the 200, oh. 400 IM. Oh. And we only got one of the four, and then we got three silvers, which was the most frustrating thing ever wow. to Steph. I love Steph, but um, she got the golds in the 200 and 400 by splits, if you remember. Right. Um, and then if I had actually swum like I swam in the semifinal of the 100 back, I, I would have won uh, the final because my world record in the semifinal of the 100 back still remained intact after the final but i just swam like a doofus and <laughs> overspun the first 25 and died in the last 25 and so then had the 200 back um being the last event to sort of make my comeback but there was a lot of pressure we put a lot of pressure and i put a lot of pressure on on myself in that because i think we were talking about the gold you know that right. the gold with the world record and I think that was the big difference in 2004. We could take those hits and blows right, and right. in 2008, it took me a little longer to sort of come back each time. I was very down. I mean, walking away from 2008 with three silver and a, and a gold, I was like, we failed. We what? Yeah, yeah. It was what? bad. I was so hard on myself. Oh, wow. Was like, what are you talking about? I was like, nope, it wasn't four gold. So Wow. That, and only now you look back at it and you're like, what the hell? What yeah, yeah, so yeah. Time where you've put so much and you've, you know, sort of built up that this is what's going to happen and this is, um, and then you're reminded and humbled that sport is anyone's day. It's anyone's game. Yeah. And now I'm super proud of what I did. But at the time it was, um, yeah, I was not happy after 2008. Yeah. It was tough. It's uncomfortable to be around an athlete like that who has those sort of standards, right? Like crazy yeah. standards. You think yourself uh, as a normal person who maybe even Kim yeah. just by your side, like wants to slap you. Like, what are you yeah. doing? Like, oh, come on. She did. she did. She like sat me down and she was like, you need to pull your shit together. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you're allowed to swear on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you need what the, you know, is yeah. going on. This is yeah. ridiculous. You yeah. have five, four minutes of sulking and they're, get your head out of your ass because you're yeah. going to win this next one. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> um, you know, so 
yeah but it, it is was, it's uncomfortable yeah it's it's so uncomfortable yeah. around with some so around somebody with those standards because you think to yourself like come on just drop your standard a little bit it's okay you've got the silver at the olympic <laughs> games like you're going to be good you're fine but then but but then it's almost yeah. it's almost insulting to for for someone to say that to you like it feels like yeah. an insult like don't mm -hmm. tell me to lower my standards and the, the only reason why i'm able to um you know, uh, relate to this is because I had a couple of athletes just like you who, who had yeah. these crazy standards. Um, and, and, and it would, I would just have to give them space to be, to allow yeah. them to be yeah. who they were, you know, ultimately yeah. is like, look, you want, you want to shake them and say, be like me or be like everybody else. But ultimately mm -hmm. the, the, the thing that got them there in the first place was that crazy standard. Right. Yeah. And Kim was, that's why she was the best person for me. Uh, you know, and I think when you asked me the question earlier, like why Kim, I think Kim and I sort of gravitated, Margaret and David gravitated. And because we were both so competitive at the same events on the same team in the mm. same year, we both needed separate people. We couldn't have the same mm -hmm. people. And, right. you know, Kim was always that person for me. She allowed me to be like that and mm -hmm. be slightly cra crazy. Um mm -hmm. And yeah, but I think if, you know, when you talk to Kim and you talk to me, I think there's things that we both would have done differently leading up into 2008. Um, I definitely would have verbalized to her, this is my goal, um, because we definitely spoke about it in, in, in the 200 back. But when it came to the other events, we didn't, I didn't verbalize to her, no, I want to win. You know, she was working on, if we do these times, again, we're on the podium, this is great. And she didn't know that I was like, no, 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 second and third, that's not good. I want to be here. Mm. And so there's, you know, things that we would have, I think both of us would have done slightly different. But again, you you look at it in hindsight now, and I'm like, what was I thinking? You know, that was incredible. But I think sometimes you, as you get older, you put these kinds of things in, into perspective and you know, we were so fortunate to grow up and be surrounded at that time amongst incredible athletes. I mean, how many Olympians and medalists did we have at Auburn? It was, right. it was normal, you know, it was mm. a normal thing. Mm. Um, and then when you're not there, you realize how incredible that was yeah. and how special that was and how that's not like every, every other environment that you will have again. Yes, you're right. It was very crazy at Auburn with the amount of Olympians that we had. I guess, I guess one Olympian tra attracts another one, and ultimately you you bring them in and you start you start this feeder system of Olympians, and that's what what it is. Um, but there's also this uh, intangible that you can't you can't coach, you can't teach, you 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 can't even even as the minister of sport, you want to set people up for success, right? You're doing everything you can, but ultimately. There's something about you that that is a separator, and uh, have you recognized that in yourself? That that intangible that is is like you can't put a price on who you are inside, really, either, can you? Yeah, I mean, I think that I again probably rely a little bit more on the people around me to help recognize that. Hmm. Um, I think growing up, I was always taught that it's good to acknowledge your successes, but don't become arrogant. Don't take mm. it to the next level, stay normal. So I think those were such incredible lessons, but at the same time, 
I think it's probably one of my challenges is giving myself recognition for what I've done or what, the things I've achieved. I think that's um, it, it's it's tough for me to to really talk about or express because I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, good. But you're always looking at the next thing. And sometimes um, right. you know, my husband reminds me, he's like, you need to slow down and you need to recognize what you've just achieved and the milestones that you've achieved and the milestones you've achieved with the athletes commission and with this and that. And, um, you know, I think being a swimmer and, and knowing that it's a very much individual event, um, you were lucky because you had team events, uh, but coming from Zimbabwe, we had no relays. Um, it's a very individual. So you rely on your very close team, and you get to choose who that team is. And it's generally such a good team that you know and you have confidence in the success. Things can go wrong and there'll be bumps in the road. And I've had my fair share of ups and downs. Um, but in some of these other um, positions, um, using the ministry, for example, I don't really get I don't get to select my team um, or my staff. And I have 3,200 people um, wow. all in, in my ministry. Uh, we have a public service commission that hires and fires and does all of that. So mm. that's not something I do. And it's sometimes difficult to 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 not have that control. Um, I'm very much a control freak. Mm. Uh, I like to, to sort of know what's going on. But I do what one thing that I learned um, probably specifically from David is um, allowing people to embark on their own journeys, give them space to develop and grow. And, and that's also what you need to do as a leader. You have to allow for people to evolve and uh, sort of flower at their own um, own rates and, and times and give them space to feel empowered to do that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those are all lessons that we sort of, I believe that we learned from Kim and David and Ralph and Dave Durden um, that we maybe didn't know at the time, but now I'm like, oh, that's why they did that. <laughs> sort yeah. of click yeah, yeah. um, as a leader in, in my different portfolios. And yeah. Um, one of the other things I wanted to touch on, because I think it's a point of interest for a lot of people that are listening, is is this, um, you know, this idea of becoming a national champion in, in a team, right? At, at Auburn University, yeah. you won a few national championships. So what was, if somebody's listening to this and they, they want to take their team to that level where they can compete for a national championship, other than just having the horses, the, the, the athletes that can, that can perform, what are the, what are the functions of a, a winning NCAA team, you know, throughout the season? Hmm. Uh, team comes first. You're, 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 you're one individual of so many. And if you put yourself first, the team is not going to succeed. Um, and I learned that very early on in, in my career um, because I came from being a, from a small club, always being the best, um, you know, sort of a big fish in a small pond to now being a small fish in a big pond and having to do relays and having to do all these other things that I had not ever done before. And I was so grateful for them, but it was also hard to be like, well, why would I, why would I swim the 400 IM where I'm going to come like six 
Mm. when I could win the 100 back. Like, that's not good for me, mm. but it's good for the team because we mm. already have four people that can win the 100 back. Right. We need extra points in the 400. So team comes first, and, and you've got to think about that throughout the entire season. It can't just be at SECs or at NCAAs. It's throughout the whole season. And I think that's what I loved about Auburn is, um, you know, going through uh, PK's workouts mm. and uh, – all the fun things we did there, it you it was drilled into you. The team comes first. And um, I think that's a really important lesson um, that you will carry with you for the rest of your time. Because, you know, life after school and after sport, you will have to, in order to be, to be successful, you will have to work with other people that may have a di different ethos or may work differently. And um, you've got to figure out how to work together. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the biggest and best thing that any team could do. I'd imagine you'd see a little bit of that, the, the team concept and working together in the IOC now, right? Like yeah. as an IOC member, you've got people from all over the world with obviously, uh, you know, different opinions and, and ways that they want to do things. And then, you know, looking at their own yeah. countries and trying to get favoritism for their country. So it's like, how does, how does the IOC take that concept now that you're in it and, and actually do that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, it's very similar, very similar because I think at the end of the day on a team and you'll know from being at Auburn, it was the team winning an NCAA. There was always a common right. goal. Right. And if we do this, it will allow all of us to get better. And that is what I see in the IOC. Yes. We all come from different countries all around the world. But the goal is always to be able to create the best platform for an Olympic Games to be held, for athletes to come from around the world and walk into a village and just compete mm. and not to worry about the venues or the transport or the food or the mm. anything else. And because we all have that same goal of what we're wanting to achieve, it makes it easier to better understand and have more patience to listen to each other. And I think that um, is what makes also the IOC very unique in mm. order to be able to do that because we do have that mutual respect for each other. We have that complete admiration for athletes and for sport and what it can do for humanity and, and how it can show leadership and how it can create so many different opportunities for young people around the world. Those, all those common themes um, kind of bind us together and drive us forward. How do you go from the Athletes Commission? And I, I guess there's different levels in the IOC, and I'm not exactly sure what they are. So explain them to me. So, like, obviously, yeah. you come in, you get voted by the athletes, and you and you represent them on the Athletes Commission for a period of time. <coughs> How then do you go on to become an IOC member? And then, what are the different levels within the IOC? Yeah. So there's different. There's obviously all different ways. Uh, at any given time, there's never more than 115 IOC members, mm. and it's broken up. So there's 15 members for athletes, 15 um, National Olympic Committee members, 15 International Federation, and 70 individual members. Mm. And those 70 individual members are made up of some former athletes, business people, um, some royalty mm. we have, and then um, some former heads of state right. um, and different uh, business people who have done super well and who give back to sport. 
Uh, we now have how do you get to that position? Pages. Yeah, so I'm getting there. So oh, we have yeah. those 115. Right. So the athletes committee, the 15 athletes, you are voted on at the Olympic Games by athletes, and you have an eight-year term. Right. The NOC president and the um, and the NOC spots, the 15 NOC spots and the International Federation spots, you come up through those routes. Mm. Um, and you have your term on the IOC is linked to your term of those positions. So let's just say um, the president of the Australian Olympic Committee becomes a member, and that was um, John Coates. I'm sure you know John. Yep. Um, so he, from his position, became a member of the International Olympic Committee. He's now an individual member, but he originally started as a, a member of a National Olympic Committee. Yeah, same for the international federations. And then for the individual members, um, it's through different routes. It's through um, people that have been identified with very specific talents um, through NOCs, through the athletes, or through the international federations. Um, it's through other members proposing different uh, people. Um, it's also through sitting down with sort of um, headhunters and saying, right, we need someone that can help us with broadcasting and this or marketing or finance. And we put a, a sort of feel out. So there's quite a number of ways in which you can become. And then um, you apply. It goes through a full commission and sort of background checks and things. Um, and it goes all the way up to the executive board and the president. And then they put you forward to the membership, the IOC um as uh, as a candidate and the membership uh, either say yes or no um mm. so that's how it all works wow vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over 30 years vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmer's catch add a few vasa trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool Go to vasatrainer.com, use code BREAD at checkout, and get 10% off anything from Vasa. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. Destromachines.com. Yeah. What about what about this? What about the evolving um, state of the Olympic movement, right? Like, obviously, it, it evolves over many different yeah. Olympiads. So, like, yeah. in terms of um, where we are today, are there, are there things that that you are seeing that are different from maybe when you're in Sydney and Athens and Beijing? You know, you're yeah. behind the scenes now. So, like, how is the Olympic Committee looking at um, progressing into the future? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think um, I think there's two parts. Like one, you've got your membership, but we right. also have a headquarters in Luzon um, of about 800 staff, um, mm. incredible people. So we have a director general, we have directors, we have executive directors um, of games, of sport, of athletes, um, and of NOC relations, of Olympic solidarity, and all of these people are the people who are working day to day mm. on the way in which the executive board and the membership are guiding the movement. I think that's the best way. And I think now having had the opportunity to come on as an athlete commission member and understanding the games so much more, 
Um, I don't think that, like you said, you don't really know how all of it works. We see it. And as athletes, we arrive at the games. But there's so much work that goes into getting a games up and running. And we have an incredible staff and team in Luzon who just love the Olympic Games. They love sport and um, they love what they do. Uh, working day to day to ensure that um, the next Olympic Games happens. Um, mm. And so I think I've just had a very unique opportunity in being able to better understand that whole clog and how that works and how all the pieces fit. I think some of the biggest things that we're seeing um, challenging the movement um, is being more sustainable, right. uh, you know, use of, use of venues, not having any venues being specifically built and then never being used and, um, you know, being really aware of what the games, yes, we know that it can bring good things to a community, but is that what the community needs? So having more awareness um, of ourselves and what we're asking, and, and the IOC has done an incredible job under the leadership of Thomas Bach, our president, to ensure that we've looked at all of these different programs and these different things and how we did things. Uh, one of the biggest changes is how um, we get to host cities. There used to be a big bid process, and right. now that's completely gone because it was very costly and it took time and, mm. and it was not sustainable. Um, and now it's very much a conversation. And can you do this? Do you have this? Is this part of your plan as a country or as um, as in Brisbane's case for 2032? Is it, a, is it a plan for the region? Is it growing in that way? Um, and that, I think, has been one of the very good things that has I've seen the movement adapt and change um, so that we can be there and have longevity. Wow, I love it. I, li I like how you just kind of snapped into kind of this IOC <laughs> voice and like persona, persona you know. Like That's I, I a lot. So I could feel, I, I could feel it straight away. But I, um, love my, my, I love what I do with IOC. It's, yeah. um, it just feels so natural, you know, from my swimming career. Yeah, it's, it's, for sure. Um, yeah. It fits you. It fits you very well. And I think they're very, they're very privileged to have you on, on board. Now, tell me this, how do they, how do they select uh, new sports to come into uh, each Olympic games? And then another question, because I am kind of a little biased, I, I want the fifties of strokes to come into the Olympics. Is that ever going to be a possibility? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I think I might plead the fifth on that one, <laughs> I, you know. Um, no, but new sport. We So we have a sport commission. So essentially what happens is the IOC with our membership are then broken down into different commissions. We have the marketing commission, obviously mm. the athlete commission. You have the sports program commission. You have different working groups underneath that. You have the coordination commissions for the upcoming games. And each of those commissions looks at those specific projects. So with our sports program commission, they are looking at uh, sports, the original sort of sports and the 28 sports in summer, what that looks like, how they're doing, blah, blah. Um, and then we have what we've just started doing is um, asking host countries, because sometimes host countries have very popular sports at home and in the region, yeah. but not necessarily globally, where it would be a good opportunity for them to look. And we saw this in, in, in Tokyo where 
five new sports came in and some of those sports will be the same for Paris. Um, it's yet to be decided for LA, but pretty similar. And then there's a, just a different process. The international federations work with the sport department of the IOC and the sports program, which falls under the sports department. And they all work together to sort of look at, um, you know, there's always very simple things that we would look at is the global reach, the global impact, um, gender, if it's being played both by men and women equally mm. across the world. Do people have easy access to it? Right. Um, and then comes the separate side of it, aside from the athlete side, more your governance side, your good governance. What does that look like? Your structures, how are you funded? Um, all of those things sort of compile into it and there's reports done and backs and forths. And then the sport program uh, commission would then put forward their recommendations to the IOC executive board. And that always eventually comes back to the IOC members uh, at a session. And that's kind of roughly um, in a nutshell, how it sort of works. Yeah. Uh, th there used to be, um, there used to be this idea around the IOC that, uh, it, that there's a lot of, let me say this. I don't, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out a way to say this properly, but, there is a lot of there's a lot at stake right when it comes to hosting an olympics and being an olympic uh you know host nation things like that so how how do how does the ioc keep checks and balances for someone like you for someone who is a you know a, a voted in uh affiliate right someone that mm -hmm. represents the ioc and and people are coming to you for for votes and things like that so how do how do you keep your checks and balances so we have an ethics commission, um, which is actually run right now, uh, chaired uh, by very, very good people um, who are separate. They're not IOC members. Um, so there's that separation. Mm, right. Uh, but we have uh, the IOC charter that we all should abide by and right. hopefully are abiding by. Um, there's checks and balances because of the different commissions you on and the departments that you're working with, there's checks and balances in those ways. Right. Um, but no, I mean, there, there are just, especially with social media today, yes. um, you know, if there's anything negative put up on the media, the ethics commission are on the phone, what's happening? What's this? Someone said this, da, da, da. Right. Um, so I do believe that in that regard, and I know the IOC, um, in the past, um, in and around Salt Lake City and stuff, right. there was huge changes where I think over half the membership, um, if I'm correct, um, was almost um, asked to, to leave. And uh, actually, our oldest uh, member, Richard Pound, um, mm. he just finished up a few weeks ago in December. And he was one of the the, the great leaders of um, the IOC who was able to uh, help with that. And, you know, he wasn't well liked at the time, but he did what was right and um, really changed the organization. And I think um, has we, uh, the members that are there now and um, and even the president are grateful for people like him who who did that, who stood up and said, this is wrong and we need to put these checks and balances in right. place and uh, we need to abide by this. And I think from what I've heard, cause I wasn't around at that time to where we are now, we've come such a huge way and there's, there's many different checks and balances to ensure that the members are behaving appropriately in their private lives, as well as their roles and responsibilities within the IOC. And um, I think that is 
not done across all organizations, all international federations. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. That's good. Mm. Is this a is this a full time role? Is this a paid position or volunteer? What is this no. exactly? No, so it's a volunteer position. Oh, wow. um, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty busy at the moment. I am chair of the Brisbane 2032 Commission. Um, so I'll wow. be back in Brisbane this year. And I'm chair of the Dakar 2026 Youth Olympic Games. So the Olympic Games coming to Africa for the first time, which I'm very proud of. Chris, you've got bills to pay too, you know. You can't be volunteering for all these things. You, at I some know, point, you've got to pay some bills. I know. But I just, I, I love it. I think, um, you know, and it's, it's uh it's super rewarding to to yeah. see programs come at the end um and you know it doesn't cost us anything so members are your air tickets are covered your accommodation okay, is right. covered your expenses right. are covered so while it's not a paid position um it's not you know it doesn't cost uh cost you money just time really so I, I make sure i give up my time what about the presidency? Is that a different situation? Is that is that a paid position? And how does how does one become president of the IOC? Yeah, so the the uh, presidency um, I have to go back and think now. I think um, he gets an allotted amount, but that's a full time job. The president yeah. um, has to be in Switzerland, uh, goes oh. into the office daily, and, and oh. oversees. So members are very different to that. So we have our different responsibilities, which are spread amongst. All 115 of us, or, you know, we're not generally at 115. We're just a little less because we have people coming in and going out. And um, But the, the president is based in Lausanne, and um, he works uh, in his office and oversees mm. everything. And, um, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then to get there, it's by the membership, the membership vote. Um, they vote for the presidency. Does that happen every four years or every eight years, or what's the term? So the president's term um, is an eight-year term uh, renewed once for four years. Um, so, yeah. So uh, President Bach is finishing his term in 2025. So he's uh, finished his first eight years. He came in in 2013, and then he's um, finishing up in 2025. And so then we'll it's like president then. Okay, so there's no chance that you can then continue on after the eight years. Like you have to be done. Is that it? So after the eight years, you get one more half term of four years. Oh, okay, right. So a maximum of 12. Oh, okay, right, right. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. All right, yeah. well, uh, I guess that's coming in the near future. But um, what about you then? I mean, we haven't even mentioned that you're a mother, by the way. I mean, you're, <laughs> you've got a three-and-a-half-year-old three daughter <laughs> Ella, I mean, how do you how do you balance <laughs> being a mother and a wife uh, at the same time? And then, I mean, come on, your uh, husband must be like, "Hey, Kirsty, like." Um, I know he's probably like, I don't know if she can be the best wife because something <laughs> has to give at some point. No, yeah. I'm I'm very lucky to have a hugely supportive husband, mm. um, the best husband that allows me to do all these things and sort of picks up all the pieces in the background and and we've been a good team for a long time and um yeah he uh his work allows for him to sort of also work from home and if i can't get to school for pickup then he can run in and um that's how we've sort of worked and no i'm very lucky uh to have him and, and obviously being back at home i have my mom and dad uh just down the road so it can also rely heavily on them but um yeah being a mom is the best best thing ever 
my my that's my most important role and um i'm actually january is still quite a slow time for us um in in government and ministry so i'm taking every advantage of dropping her off at school picking her up and getting to spend some extra time with her before everything starts really back up towards the end of january and i think this year is going to be quite a busy year on all the different fronts so i'm really taking every bit of time i can to to hang out with her awesome well listen um you're not even 40 yet it's crazy the things that you've done in your life and i'm not even sure where you're going in the future and what you're doing but i'm sure it's going to be something crazy that you're going to add to the resume again and influence uh a lot of people in a very positive way. So, Chris, you're doing an incredible job. I know it's probably sometimes you want to just take five minutes to yourself, I'm sure, where it's like, can, can I just have some me time for one minute? You know, so, uh, yeah. but yeah, you're doing, yeah. you're doing incredible work. So keep it thanks, up. Okay. Man. Yeah. Thank you. I yeah. Thanks for doing it. this too. This has been a long time coming. I appreciate you taking the time yeah, with somebody no that's problem. so busy. You know, this is awesome. So, yeah. Great catching no, up. Super happy. Thanks, Britt. All right. Take care, girl. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks, Bye. I would like to tell a story of how Swim Angel Fish improved my skills and a major aspect of my life. Okay, and, and you are controlling on the whole time. First of all, when, when I was a small child, when I was like four years old, I had a fear of going into water because I was afraid of getting my going, water going in my eyes and also the fear of drowning. No flippers. Do you want me to hold you? Oh yes, the whole time. Let's finish this. I gotcha. Good job, Peter. I can hang on the whole time. What was that? Easy or hard? Easy. You tell me. Easy. It was. Easy. I'm a super swimmer. You're a good swimmer. Your body flows. Did you see that time? How there was no discussion and I just grabbed the opportunity in a much better way? Can hold on the whole time? And touch and let go. Smile. Can you show me a good smile? And when I got to the age of 11, I wanted to start I wanted to start developing swimming skills because I noticed that a lot of my friends and peers have are good at swimming. Well, let's show them how we learn to I can now let go the whole way. The whole way? Yeah. So how about you're gonna come around and see you swim the whole way for your first time ever with not me touching you. Can I swim next to you? Yeah, of course. Oh, so Excuse me. Sit. Are you okay or do you want me to touch you? Touch you. Last time, go, I swam a whole yeah. without anyone touching me. That is incredible. It is incredible. In conclusion, I think I would like to thank Swim Angel Fish for doing a great job of helping me develop confidence, bravery, and skill.